Hi, I'm Nikki from Teaching Autism and welcome to the Autism and Special Education Community Podcast. Are you an autism or special education professional? Are you a teacher or therapist looking for support and new ideas? You may even be a parent, family member or carer. This podcast is perfect to help you find out more information, support and get some of your questions answered. Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode on the Teaching Autism and Special Education Community Podcast. Today on the podcast we are still with our special guest Becky from Sensory Spectacle and today is episode 3 in our 6 part series for all things sensory. Today me and Becky are talking all about our best sensory tips and activities for you to try. If you haven't listened to our previous episodes yet where I interview Becky to talk about sensory and behaviour and sensory profiles, I recommend heading back and listening to those first before today's episode. But without further ado, let's start today's episode all about sensory tips and activities to try and dive in. Hi Becky and welcome back to the third episode of our sensory series on the Teaching Autism and Special Education Community podcast. Could you give us a little quick introduction of who you are just for my listeners who haven't listened to maybe the past two episodes yet? Yeah, sure. So my name's Becky Lydon. I'm the founder of Sensory Spectacle. So I run most of my day teaching about sensory processing disorder. So I teach parents, professionals, medical professionals, anyone that needs to understand how we can um, recognise certain characteristics that relate to sensory difficulties. And you have a wonderful Instagram that really sort of spreads that awareness as well and helps it make it a little bit more understandable. You don't use as many big scary words as Google. So I encourage people to head to your Instagram because you do share a wealth of knowledge on there. And I know you have a new podcast called Living a Sensory Life. Yeah, that's right. So um, my work's really about creating awareness and educating. So I try and make sure on all social media, there's lots of information just to help everyone really understand some of these things that we might find a bit confusing otherwise. And that's what the podcast is going to be doing as well. Definitely. And I encourage everyone to head over because I love listening to everything you have to say. So I can't wait for that podcast. Thanks. (laughs) And I know you do specialize in sensory. So just for those listeners who are new today, would you give a little quick, I know there's no such thing as quick introduction, but just a little explanation of what sensory processing disorder is, please. Yeah, so sensory processing disorder is when someone finds it difficult to organize the sensory messages that they receive. So um, we talk about eight sensory systems, so smell, taste, touch, sight, hearing, and then we've got three internal senses, which is proprioception, vestibular, and interoception. And those eight senses, someone will be receiving information from, so I'll be hearing a sound, but if I'm hypersensitive to sound, it can mean that my brain gets those messages but then find it difficult to tell me how to organize them. So how to respond to that in my environment. So I might very easily feel overwhelmed with sounds and cover my ears and scream. Or um, if it's visual information, I might squint my eyes. And then on the opposite side, we have some people who seek out more sensory input because their body doesn't feel like it's getting enough. Their brain needs more in order to be able to 
concentrate. So that might be people who need to move while they're talking or while they're listening, or it might be people that chew on things to help them to concentrate. So that's what sensory processing difficulties is. And it's really important that we recognize what I refer to as characteristics relating to people's sensory processing difficulties. That was perfect. Thank you so much. And I know that this series that we're doing, it's going to be six podcast episodes in total. And you are sharing so much information about how to make sensory a little bit less scary for educators and families who are using these techniques for their students and children as well. Yeah, that's not the aim. I mean, we're all sensory beings, so it should be fun. There's something that we can all relate to. And it's about really trying to understand for that person, how can we support them to enjoy things and feel more comfortable in their environment? Definitely. And there are so many fun things that we can do, which is a great part of today's episode where we're going to be talking about sensory tips and activities to try. And we're going to try and do this so we'll work at home and in the classroom as well, I think. Yeah, definitely. I think we need to make sure that we can provide sensory support strategies in all environments. So even when you're out in the community or when you're in the car, what are some of the things that you can provide to help your child or your student feel just that little bit more comfortable? Definitely. And I know it can be quite scary and people think that sensory activities have to be these very expensive, extravagant, Pinterest worthy activities, but they really don't. And that's why I wanted to pick your brains and see what are some of your favorite types of sensory activities that you think are fairly easy to set up either at home or in the classroom? Yeah, so my kind of go to is don't spend money on creating sensory activities. You can find things around your house, you can find things around your classroom that are leftovers or um, that you don't need anymore. Or you can go by what your student's already doing. So if you've noticed your student's walking around the classroom and they're picking you know, cubes up that you might use for maths and they're twiddling them around, then use the things that they're already finding of interest as part of an activity. Um, when we're trying to think about different activities to kind of create, remember that we've got more than five senses. So think about actually one of the most effective ways you can create a sense of activity is through movement. So thinking about um, lots of the schools I work in have say animals is a theme and in the morning the students will choose three animals it might be a frog it might be a bird and it might be a snake and during the day they'll have these movement breaks these sensory breaks where they do five frog jumps because that was the animal that they chose and then they move around the class like a snake um and then they flap around the room like a bird just to get in that physical input as well as us thinking about some of the more creative sensory activities as well. Some other things that can be really good for um, lots of senses are things like blowing bubbles. So there's a really, really effective way we can make a bubble tube. Um, so blowing bubbles from a cup, and I'll post a link to how you can make that um, online. And when we blow bubbles, we use so many of our senses. So we use our oral sense, so the, all the muscles around our mouth, which is great for our body awareness, our proprioceptive input. We also use lots of internal messages because 
my body awareness comes from inside of my body. And if you think when you drink a drink through a straw, when you suck it up, you use so many muscles to take in that drink. In the same way, when you blow out, you can feel all of those muscles pushing in a different way. So using bubble blowers, so whether that's a wand or whether you make something with a straw, that can be really, really great for your internal proprioceptive awareness, but also your visual processing, because we use our eyes differently when we're blowing bubbles as well. Um, and another one of my favorites um, is mess-free painting. So for anyone that might find um, getting messy really overwhelming, finding it difficult to um control where mess goes so visually as well just putting anything any creative activity you're doing but in a ziploc bag so get a ziploc bag pop some paint inside i used to tape them to the table because we had a lot of students who might pick things up and chew things so i'd take them to the table and you can do some great finger drawing or if they find it difficult to touch the bag with their fingers you can use things like earbuds or paint brushes to make your marks on the on the bag as well there were so many great activities that I, I don't even know where to start because there were so many. But I love how all of these can be educational as well, because I think teachers worry that if it's sensory, it's not educational, but it can be. And just going over some of those activities that you were discussing, even the mess free painting, things like, you know, copying shapes you can draw, numbers, letters, even with the animal movement breaks, those can be used through the days, they can be morning meeting. There's lots of ways you can really make these educational. Oh, definitely. And I think if we try and see all of these kind of sensory activities as things we can do at home and at school, then just imagine how much fun you're going to have every day. <laughs> Definitely. And it's just a fun way to learn as well and to get that sensory that so many of our students need. But the bubbles I love. We always used to try and make our own bubbles and um, sometimes it didn't work, but sometimes it was a lot of fun. I remember we used um, giant hula hoops one summer and we used those as bubble blowers and the kids really have so much fun with something as really easy as bubbles. Oh, definitely. And it's so rewarding. So regardless of what someone's um, level of understanding or comprehension is, actually, when you see that cause and effect of I've done something and I've created these things that are floating around, it's then fun and it's a game and there's that huge sense of reward as well. Definitely. And when you touched on the mess free painting and sticking that to the table, because I think we've all had students or children at one point or another who either want to chew or eat everything that we provide them with. So what would you say are some edible or safe options for sensory activities? Yeah, so um, basically anything that you might have in your food cupboard. Um, so pasta, for example, there's so many different shapes of pasta. You can have it dry in a tray and you can do some kind of mixing things around. Um, so like drawing again, so shapes and things. Rice is a really good one for that. And so is flour. Um, if you put it on a contrasting background, so if you put, a, say, a black piece of paper at the bottom of your tray, when you're doing, when you've got some rice or flour on top and then you're doing your drawing, you'll be able to see the, the contrast, see the pattern a lot clearer, which can be really, really great. Other edible things, just think about what do we already put in our mouths already? So what is okay for us to 
kind of chew on or or look at. And I think that's the go-to that I use. So things like pasta, yes, you can use it dry. And if they eat it dry, it's absolutely fine. However, you can also cook it. And when you cook it, you get that totally different sensation in your hands and your fingers, but also when you move it around um, a page. I've also used things like soup before where it's kind of more of a liquid. So if you've got people that love water, maybe they'll be more inclined to use something like that. And obviously soup has a smell related to it as well, which can be really engaging for some of our students as well. I never would have thought of soup, but that is such a great idea because they all come in different smells as well. Obviously, the different flavors, but there's different smells, like you were saying, different textures. I love the idea of trying soup. Yeah, soup and you know, lots of our fruit and vegetables, potatoes. When I was at school, we did potato stamping. We can still do that now. Maybe the paint that you make is edible paint though as well. So if you do have people where you know it will be eaten, then just think about the things that you have already available in your environment that you can use um, to do exactly the same activity. Yes, we used to um, use leftover ingredients we had from cooking sessions and things. So there's lots of great ways you can make it really affordable as well. I feel like you don't have to go out and buy all new things. You know, it can be stuff like you say that you already have in the cupboard. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's not about getting more and it's not about spending lots of money. For people with sensory processing difficulties, they're already using what's in their environment to regulate. And so that's why we don't need to spend thousands of pounds on supporting someone. Yes. And some of my favorite things to sort of save money are, you know, those big black tough trays that you see on Pinterest and they're like 20, 30 pound. We actually bought a gardener's tray for like three pound in a DIY store and it looks the same. It does the same thing. But what are some of your favorite affordable sensory ideas if anyone's on a budget? So, um, almost everything that I suggest in any of my books <laughs> because it's all about making things um, food obviously if you've got it around use what's left over lentils rice flour all those kinds of things um, being outdoors outdoors is the most kind of impactful sensory experience so think about the weather if it's sunny you feel the warmth but it's also bright when it's raining you feel the temperature, you feel the rain, you feel um, the way visually things look different as well. Um, but being outside, you have natural smells, you use your body differently. And so if you can get outdoors and you can physically move your body, it's so much more long lasting for someone sensory processing than it is for them to, say, sit in the classroom and just, say, squeeze a stress ball for five seconds. Um, so things that you can do when you're outside is why don't you go on a weather walk? So walk around and, you know, talk about the weather, see different things, feel different things in the weather. Um, and another really great one that I love is just wherever you are having some chalk and draw shapes on the floor with your chalk. So you could draw some triangles, then you could draw a swirly line like a spiral. And on each of the shapes, they do a different movement. So on the triangles, they do five star jumps. Then on the spiral, they spin around. Then you might have a square and you can make it almost into a hopscotch. So each shape is a different movement. And that's just a really good way to get everyone involved in some type of movement activity. And it's absolutely free, apart from the chalk. <laughs> um, 
Other things that can be really effective are things like just thinking about the lights in your room. So a lot of the time it's easier for us to think about things we can add as a sensory item, but many people actually feel overwhelmed with sensory input. So taking the opportunity to, say, turn off your main light and do some visual input, but with using mirrors or with using kitchen foil. So things that you might already have in your classroom as resources or leftovers at home. Um, having that visual input, so the mirror and foil are great for reflections, which means that you can then look at colours and you can look at like sparkly things and making shadows. And that can be a really fun way. In the same way, as making shadows. So shadow puppets, shadow, shadow movement. Um, I think I spoke before about the first way we process visual information is through contrasts. And so things that are opposite, so black and white, we see lots of baby toys being black and white because that helps with that visual development. So things like shadows are really great for people that seek that visual input because there's that high contrast and they're in control of it. They're creating the shape that's now being kind of shadowed, projected onto the wall, which is fun. Um, a couple of other things, um, musical instruments, which you've probably already got around. If not, you can get old, you know, drinks bottles and put rice in them. You can get bells from so many shops now, especially around Christmas time. You can find really, really small bells that jingle really nicely. Um, strumming things, drumming things. If you've got someone that likes banging things or pushing things with their hands, actually drumming is a really great activity because it's pretty much the same as what they're doing, um, but they're doing it for more of that purpose element. So they might be getting more rhythm and music out of it. And then the last suggestion that I've got is water. So many people love water anyway. You can color water, you can put glitter in water, you can make it all edible. So food coloring, edible glitter as well. You can mold it. So I've got some really great ice molds. I've got some that are spheres, which are just fantastic because when they're solid, it's like a snooker ball. So they're round. If you've got someone that loves learning about science and the fact that this ice now melts into something else, that can be really exciting. You can put objects inside. So when it does melt, they then get their little toy or a food item or whatever it might be. You can warm water up. So then you can explore temperatures as well. Maybe it's certain color, certain temperature. Um, you can put it inside things like I mentioned with the Ziploc bags and then obviously bubbles. Adding bubbles, whether it's a bubble machine, whether it's a whisk, you can whisk up water and you get some bubbles. Just adding, you know, washing up liquid, something to create that foamy bubble, which is a great visual input as well as being that tactile and body awareness element to the water as well. Wow, I think you've given so many examples there that things can be actually free and really eco-friendly as well. So like making those musical instruments and being able to recycle maybe, you know, jars you've got, plastic bottles. There's loads of things you can do and they don't have to cost the earth. I think that's really important because I think sometimes we get caught up on Pinterest and Instagram with all these amazing looking sensory activities. And then we have to go and spend like 15, 20 pounds on buying all the materials to use use once but you've really shown us that actually just even sitting down looking in your cupboards you probably have most things you need there to work on sensory or even just going outside like you say yeah definitely I mean you can just choose one item so if you're in a classroom and you're trying to empty a cupboard which I know so many teachers try to do <laughs> um 
you, you can see in your cupboard you've got half a bag of rice. That rice can be used for tactile because you can feel it. You can use it for visual because you can use it with different, maybe you color the rice or maybe you, like I said earlier, you have a high contrasting sheet of paper behind it or a mirror behind it. And you can use it for smell. So maybe you could cook it and add some food flavoring in with it. And you can use it for sound. So making a musical instrument out of it. You can use it for body awareness. So if you have it on a tray, you can then have a walking trail. Um, or maybe you make it into something weighted. So you put it inside, say, sewing up an old T-shirt or some socks. And that's now a nice weighted lap pad that you can put on their um, knees or you can put on their shoulders. So one item really can support all of our senses. It's just about us thinking how we can do that. Definitely. And I love those little DIY lap pads as well. Those are a great idea. And I also love when you said just going outside, though, being in nature, everyone sort of around us when we were in the classroom was saying how you shouldn't be going outside in the rain. And we just asked all the parents to send in some wet clothes, some Wellingtons, and we had the best time outside. The kids would love exploring different things like puddles. And like you say, it's just about giving them those different experiences as well. Definitely. It's it's so important that everyone can experience the world and I've been in many environments where yes they they don't go outside if it's raining or they don't go outside if it's snowing and I understand why however that child it's a huge learning experience to be outside in the snow think about when we were young and it was snowy and the excitement that we felt because we could go make a snowman everything looks different everything smelt different it was so cold you had to wear so many layers you felt like the Michelin man it's such a great experience and we need to make sure that our students and our children get those same experiences even if it's just for 30 seconds going outside and experiencing it being in it because otherwise people will miss out on that definitely and if you're sort of worried about how the children will react I know we had snow once and we sort of wrapped everyone up warm we opened the door and we just went outside and told everyone to run in a quick circle and then back inside and if they didn't like it they didn't have to go back outside but they all wanted to because once they got out there and felt the snow seen the snow they just loved it and the language coming from them you know it's cold and they just loved it and like you say it can be for 30 seconds if you want to we literally done a like quick lap of the garden and ran back in but they all went back outside I think sometimes we think the students might not like something but actually they might love it definitely and that's where we as professionals and parents have to try and step back a little bit so that we can let our children or our students be brave and try something that is a little bit unknown so going out into the rain yes they're going to get soaked but they can go out, they can step out, they can play for, you know, a limited time and then come back inside and dry off. And part of that experience is the fun element then of warming up, having a warm drink, having a warm snack, wearing some different clothes and feeling the way that my body changes in those different kind of external environments. Definitely. And we don't know how the children are going to react until we at least give them the try, like you've said, to just experience it. And my next question was actually going to be how to incorporate sensory activities into day to day learning. But I think we may have covered that the last few minutes, unless you have anything else you'd like to add on that sort of subject. I just think it's about 
just including it as part of, of your learnings. So, you know, when you're doing activities, think about how can you add counting into it? How can you add spelling into it? Spelling doesn't have to be drawing out letters. It can be. It can be making shapes. It can be mouthing, you know, saying words, saying sounds of words. And just generally thinking about a topic or theme that you're working on. And I know you've got loads of great resources where you have a topic and so many different activities relating to that and tying that then back into your learning. So you've got some rice and with that rice, you are doing the weather. So can you make the rice sound like the wind? Can you make the rice sound like the rain? Can you make the rice sound like snow? So giving them different challenges to then think about, well, what does the rain sound like? What does the wind sound like? I love that. And I think it really opens up the creativity of our students as well, because we all look at things differently. We all have different creative minds. And I think giving our students the chance to open up and try that rather than just assuming they can't. Even if they can't do it, it's only five seconds that you've lost and then you know to work on it next time. But they could totally throw you off by doing something you never thought they could have been able to do. Yeah, definitely. Um, And I think that element of surprise is what we all kind of want. That's what we all kind of look out for and get excited by when we see a student doing something either independently for the first time or they felt something, experienced something new and just watching, observed how they responded to that. And then the independence that they build up from it as well. Definitely. I think we're all striving for that independence. But a question that I get asked a lot is how do we know what activities to give them, either independently or with a member of staff with them? How do we know we're providing the right sensory activities? Mm, So this this can take a little bit of trial and error. But first of all, you really need to understand for your student or your child what I refer to as their overriding sensory needs. So you need to understand, say if your child chews on things and they clap things a lot and they bang things a lot and they stomp their feet around, we need to look at those characteristics and be a detective, work out why are they doing that? What sensory aspects does it relate to? And so when I chew on things, I get tactile, I get proprioceptive input, I might get some smell input or a little bit of taste input. So that's four senses just for chewing. In the same way, when I'm stomping, I'm getting that body awareness, that proprioceptive input, I'm getting the sound input, I might be getting the reaction from somebody else to a visual element as well. And I'm getting the tactile element of the way that my feet feel in my shoes or my socks or on the floor. So again, four other senses that can relate to stomping. What you need to do is you need to look at someone's, all of their characteristics, all of their sensory needs and work out what sensory system could it relate to for this specific person. We can't group it and just presume that because someone's chewing, it's because they're looking for that tactile input or looking for that proprioceptive input. We have to work it out. Once we know their overriding sensory needs, that's then when we can put in sensory activities that relate to that sensory system in particular. So it may be that I've summarized those characteristics, so chewing and stomping and banging, to be proprioceptive, body awareness. So I'm going to make sure throughout that person's day, they're going to have lots of activities where they get that joint and muscle feedback, that resistance work in. So things like stomping around the playground, things like jumping, things like push-ups against the wall, anything where I can give them that input, but in a slightly different way. 
Once I've done that and I've recognised that, I can then think about what motivates them. Is it sound? Is it visual? Is there a particular, you know, a train or a cartoon that they really like? Can I use that to then incorporate into some of these proprioceptive activities as well, just to change it up and make it a little bit different and interesting? Once you've done that, you then need to observe how effective that's been for your student. So have you found that after they've done these movement activities, they can then sit down and get on with their work or with the support that you're providing, remain engaged for that little bit longer? Or do you need to provide that sensory activity for just that little bit longer so they get more of that input in to then be able to sit down and regulate? That was really informative. Thank you. Because I know that a lot of us, sometimes the fear of getting it wrong holds us back from trying. But I think it's fair to say that trial and error is the only way you're going to know really in this instant. But also, I think this is where it's important to have a team where you're all looking as well, because sometimes, like you say, we may assume it's one thing, but maybe it's something else. And sometimes a second pair of eyes coming into the classroom can help us identify what we've maybe overlooked. Definitely. And, and you know, when we talk about sensory profiles and student profiles, that's what we're talking about. So what are the things that I know I've used with that student and I found it to be really supportive and someone else has tried something different and they found that supportive. So having that kind of document where they can keep all that information together. Definitely, because I think it's fair to say as well that we all see different sides of our students depending on how well we get on with them, the types of relationships we build, where we work with them, what we do with them, all those things. It's like anyone really. We all act a little bit differently with the person we're with, just the way our personalities are, where we are and what we're doing. Definitely. And it's about not taking that personally. Um as a professional, as a teacher, we are there to support our students' needs the best that we can. Um, yes, we need to build good relationships with our students so that we can understand them and support them the best that we can. But also it's the same when we're trying these sensory activities. We have to build up you know, an interest, a want to try new things rather than feeling like we haven't done things the best that we can or that we're a failure. We're never a failure if we try new things because actually you're exposing other students to new experiences which is so so exciting definitely and I've seen a quote recently I can't remember the actual wording but it was something on the lines of you haven't failed you've just learned what doesn't work right now and I thought that was a great way to look at it yeah I saw that too actually yeah no and I think just building us up with that confidence of ah didn't, this bit didn't work, but what element can I do that, that did work or I did get a response or other students found exciting or engaging? Definitely. It must have been Instagram, maybe. I'm sure I've seen it somewhere, but it was just a great way that I thought to look at it when maybe we're feeling a little bit defeated. Yeah, definitely. And I think one of my biggest tips then for teachers and families at home as well for providing sensory activities is to just go for it and try it and not be worried about it if things go wrong but what would you say are your best tips for teachers or families for trying different sensory activities um i would i would suggest 
don't be scared of mess. Now, it doesn't have to be messy mess. It doesn't have to be wet mess. It can be letting your student or letting your child lead that activity. So, yes, you've put out some mess-free painting on the table, taped it down, and they haven't started to draw shapes like you thought they were going to do. However, they are doing something else with it. So maybe they're pushing their hand on it and squidging all the colours together. Looking at what they're doing can actually then help inspire you to think of new activities. So when we create a sensory activity, don't always think about, ah, it has to be for this reason. The people we're supporting are incredibly creative, so they'll find their own way of meeting their sensory needs through the activities they've got. So mix it up. Like I mentioned, have rice, but you can use rice for so many different activities. And um, Make sure your students and your children get involved in the activity. So if they're able to help you set it up, can they set it up? If not, how can they then lead what they're doing as part of that activity? Be as creative as you can. We know that the more creative we are, the more likely we are to enjoy it. But also when we're feeling a lot more relaxed and having fun, that learning comes more naturally. So our stress levels have released, which means that for someone who has sensory processing difficulties, they'll find it a lot easier to regulate themselves because those hormones aren't building up inside their body. Use the sensory activities that you know that they love. It's going to be a motivator, but also it's going to be something that they'll look forward to. It's going to be exciting. Even if you're trying to support someone to learn a new experience, so if they don't like getting their hands messy and they've seen you squirt paint into a Ziploc bag, they might feel a bit anxious but also have something alongside that they really love. So if they love trains or cars, can you have the train or car and then you create tracks on the bag of the train the train um, tracks from the, from the bottom of the toy? Um, and then the last tip that I've got is maybe think about a roulette. So it's really important that when you're working in a classroom, you include everybody. And so think about if you're having sensory activities each day, you can maybe set out what type of activity it is, but maybe the theme of that changes and you have a, either a choice in the morning or you actually make a spinning wheel like a roulette, which then decides, oh, we're going to do everything frog-like today or we're going to do everything green today. And so then that helps to just change things up and it also puts us in that creative mode because we've been put on the spot to think, ah, right, we've got to do things that are green today or we've got to think about frogs today. Those were brilliant tips. I love I love all of them. I do love that whole day as well where you can do like a frog day and different things. And I think that will fit really nicely for whatever your theme is at the time, whatever holidays are coming up. Even if you want to do like colour of the week or colour of the month, colour of the day, anything like that, I think it fits in really well. But off the back of all that, I think the most resounding thing that I took was to just be flexible as well and let your students lead. I think sometimes we plan an activity that we want them to do it exactly this way because this is how we want it. And it's because we want them to enjoy, but be flexible and allow them to use their creativity as well and watch what they do. Definitely. And that, that's probably for you as a teacher will be the most rewarding part to see. And as a parent, when you see your child independently doing an activity, you'll feel so proud of everything that they're doing. 
Definitely. And I think it's important to recognize your weaknesses as well. Like for me, anything shaving foam, cream, I can't do it. I get like physically gag. I can't do it. But I recognize that. And then I just let another member of staff or someone else take over for me. And it was so much easier. The kids were still getting it. They weren't missing out. And I just put my hands up and recognized this isn't for me, but someone else can lead it for me. Definitely. And finding your own kind of interests, but also responsibilities and bits that you enjoy will mean that everyone will have more fun. I used to be the person at work that was the messy person. So any mess related activity <laughs> would be down to me. And I would be that person that would come back and say, Becky, they've got mud all over their clothes or whatever it was that we were that we were exploring and kind of learning about. <laughs> and I wish I could be that person I do envy you because they are so much fun but like you say sometimes one person will really love that and it's okay for them to do those activities as well oh definitely and just offering them you know even if your students you know prefer to do your clean based activities just having it in the same space is really really great for their mental health as well definitely Thank you so much for this episode today. This was, it was so eye-opening. I loved all the different ideas you've given to make different sensory activities that can be free and really affordable and economic as well. But before we go today, what is one thing you would want someone to take away from this episode, either for a sensory tip or an activity? I think just remembering that what we're, doing the sensory activities we're creating there's a purpose behind it and so not every student's going to love every activity that you've made so if you've spent lots of time creating an activity enjoy it don't take it personally if all of the students don't engage with it and enjoy it because there'll be a reason as to why that is then next time you can think about well what element of that activity did that student like that you can then focus on for a new sensory activity so just enjoy it have fun but also recognize the beneficial side of supporting someone's senses there's a purpose behind it to help that student to regulate and when they're regulated they're then going to be able to learn better to concentrate to build relationships and to engage with everything that's happening around them definitely and I think it's just really important to remember that sometimes you're not going to please everyone sometimes you know it might be using something the child doesn't really like using it could be a theme they don't really like sometimes they could just be engaged in something else so like you say just don't take it personally there could be so many reasons why that activity just isn't for them definitely and the same for you. Try not to put your own sensory experiences onto an activity. So, you know, you've just mentioned you don't like that messy element, but someone else did it. So still include all different types of activities, but find out who enjoys doing it the most. Definitely, because there's always going to be someone, you know, just because one person doesn't like it, someone else is going to like it. And I think it really helped me appreciate as well when a student wouldn't join in because I knew how they felt as well. I knew how awful I felt when I had to do something like that. Like even if I saw the shaving foam coming out, that was my turn to leave the room. I'm that bad. But it made me appreciate as well that maybe some of the students feel that way. So it was always in the back of my mind to never over push them to do something like that, just in case for them, they were feeling the same way that I was. Definitely. Yeah. 
So this was brilliant today. Thank you so much. Now, I know I touched on your Instagram profile because I do love, I love snooping on your Instagram profile because you share so much great stuff. But for my audience, where can they find you? So Instagram, if you search for Sensory Spectacle, um, you'll find us there. We're also on Facebook and there's lots of free videos on YouTube and other resources are all on our website. So sensoryspectacle.co.uk. And you also offer online training sessions, which you've been really kind enough to give us a discount code for all my listeners. And that's valid for 12 months. And I will link that in the show notes as well, because I know you have quite a range of courses available on your website. I do. I've got three, one specific for teachers. um, And then there's a couple more launching in the next couple of months as well. That is perfect. I will link all those in the show notes. Everyone can head over and find you on there and also listen in to your new podcast, Living a Sensory Life as well. But thank you so much for coming on today and I can't wait for our next episode. Brilliant. I hope you are finding this six episode series of All Things Sensory really helpful. I can't believe that we are halfway through this series already. I hope you found the tips and activities that me and Becky discussed today helpful for use both in the classroom and at home as well. Don't forget to head on over to the show notes where you can find all of the links that we've talked about today. If you have a spare minute or two, I would love for you to be able to subscribe to this podcast, which means you'll get first notice when our episodes go live every week and also leave a review so that we know how much you get out of these podcast episodes. And if there's something you'd love to see on the podcast just let me know but for now thank you for listening and I'll speak to you again soon. Mm